Hello world, welcome to Industrial Nomads, Voices on the Road, episode Emily Cox. I'm your host, Thad Spears. My guest tonight is my sister-in-law, Emily, to whom I may refer to as Impy, but it's all good. Welcome to the show. Hey. <laughs> um, the story we're going to talk about, or her story, uh, is really cool. We're going to be talking about how she arrived at where she is, and uh, let's just jump right in. And first, I want to hey, you were a mascot in high school, yeah. What, what where'd you go to high school? What was your mascot? What I was the Franklin Lion, um, for a year, Leo the Lion, Leo the Lion, yeah. So, were you actually in a lion, completely in a lion suit, <laughs> like a fluffy? <laughs> yeah, it was a furry lion suit that I had to wear in August in Texas. <laughs> For the football games and it was um something i had always wanted to do as a little kid growing up in franklin and by the time i finally did it my junior year in high school <laughs> i was really good at it okay but it was a miserable experience just because it was so hot just the heat it was the heat it really killed me and i had been a cheerleader every other year so I was just looking forward to going back to that <laughs> and not being in a furry suit. Yeah. So how did that, or did that? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but seriously, being a mascot, and did that prepare you, help you out in anything in life? Like, I mean, do you? I guess in terms of learning how to deal with and get through tough experiences, maybe. Uh-huh. As much as I, I really did look forward to being a mascot. It really was something I wanted to do. I looked up to the girls and the guys that would like wear the suit and be the mascot. And so maybe applying that to my life, it was like I had this goal. I wanted to do it. And I, so, I went after it. And how about from the standpoint of, okay, you could act a certain way in costume. Were you ever able to, like, take that same kind of approach like okay i'm not in costume but i know how to i don't know perform whatever the situation called for you could do it and kind of pretend you're in costume like did it definitely and in high school i think i wanted to put that costume on so i could be a little more mischievous but (laughs) i think yeah i feel like i was really raised to like know how to act I guess to know how to play the right roles when I needed to and I think that started with like knowing how to be respectful of your elders like my parents and family members Um, and then moving on to growing up um, knowing how to be respectful in a professional scenario so yeah in a way it did set me up for that okay yeah and again I probably digging that more and 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 stay tuned because there's a there's a whole this is going somewhere um (laughs) jumping on up into college i've I've heard the counts you know i've heard your your dad talk about it heard you talk about it um but you went to a&m galveston right okay and you pursued your degree in marine biology marine biology which what you did use yeah i did so so tell me about your progress in college and where you were and then where you kind of where your dad thought you were and this yeah how did that go well I wanted to go to school I had this 
dream in mind to be a marine biologist. And I think as an 18 year old, I've thought, I pictured myself, you know, riding on dolphins and saving the ocean and stuff. But really, I just wanted to be a beach bum. And I thought I could go get a degree for that in marine biology. And then I had these anxieties to do with scuba diving. But I just, at the same time, thought that any good marine biologist, any scientist worth their salt, you know, would be the diver doing their own research. So that's why scuba diving became so important to me while I was at school. And of course, I had to take class after class and get certified. And class after more class of scuba diving. Of scuba diving. Class after class, also college credits. Right. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, directly toward my degree plan? No, it's not required, but I just, it was one of those things. I had a goal in mind, and I was going to complete it. But, but your dad is seeing your my accumulation of credits. Exactly. That aren't <laughs> going toward the degree, so by the time I get, you know, to my senior year, I have 160 plus credits where my degree plan called for maybe 130. <laughs> so I had reached my 130 somewhere in my junior, maybe sophomore year, and dad thinks I'm getting ready to graduate. I'm like, no, those are just my fun classes <laughs> that I already have. And he didn't love that, but, you know, had I not got all that scuba training, I wouldn't be wait, where wait, I am wait now. For it, wait for it, because it, it, it tickles me that part, because... And we're going to get to where you are now, but first, you did graduate with your marine biology. Mm-hmm. And you had a pretty, I'm, I'm going to say adventuresome, because that yeah. you were out in the Bering Sea. Yeah, in the Bering Sea. Yep. Um, I, and that was somewhere I never thought I would be. As I was getting ready to graduate, feeling all this pressure, about to go in the real world, not to mention my dad, like, what are you going to do? And like, (laughs) he's so confused with my career path. And then I was so confused. I thought I was going to have it figured out. So by the time I graduate with my marine biology degree, you know, I'm working in a bar and I didn't (laughs) know what to do. It was, you know, it was, that was people skills. Complain about that. Absolutely. I built a lot of skills working in bars. I'll never knock it for that, but um, I wanted to I wanted to use my degree, and as it turned out, there were a lot of people from my university that um, went this route. One of my roommates that I had while I was in college had gone this route. That's how I learned about it, and I applied to be a fisheries observer um, in Alaska. Now, you know, there's federal fisheries and all the oceans and everything. I'm sure I could have gone the route and gone in Texas, but... If Alaska's available, why not go do this crazy adventure? Right? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah, I would have never had any other reason to go there. Maybe on vacation or something, but a, an Alaska vacation for a Texan is going to cost so much money. But you, but the, but but the thing is, when you go take it this route, you live that. You don't right. just go on a vacation. You learn the life. You do it. You you're part of it. Right. And I that's wanted what that you experience. Chose. Yeah. I really wanted that experience to be able to say I'd done something and seen things and I've seen species of animals that I'll never, you know, Well, take it, but take us through that. What, what exactly you, you did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was a fisheries observer. I would go 
um, well, the first thing I did when I got hired on was go to a, to Seattle to train for three weeks. That was a crazy experience. Um, living in a bunkhouse with my peers, my co my new coworkers. Um, there were, I don't know, a dozen or so in my company that were training, doing this three week training. And then there were also the um, former observers that would be in the bunkhouse telling us what life is like on the Bering Sea. So I finished that up and just felt like I was gonna go save the fisheries for for Noah, you know. Went out to Alaska for the first time, deployed on a vessel for three months. Um, our contracts were usually 90 days and I would usually be the only female so, on a fishing well, vessel. Right, your contract is you're gonna be on a vessel and mm -hmm. you're gonna leave port while they fish. Right. And they're catching mass quantities of fish. Oh yeah, they're catching. So I would be on the trawler vessels and the trawler vessels could catch anywhere from 30 to 100 tons in a single net, metric tons in a single net. And my job was basically to just quantify what species they were getting. So, um, so when they would pull in a net and they unload that haul, you would just sort through fish or yep. as they were, they were throwing them in the ice, you would just watch what they're and, and document they're catching redfish yeah. or they're catching whatever. Yeah, pretty much exactly. I had my whole scientific um, method of like selecting which parts of the hall that I would sample. It had to be totally random, of course. You know, we're trying to make this as scientific as possible. And all of the data that I'm collecting in the field um, on the vessel, the NOAA scientists are using to extrapolate. Um, uh, quota, fishing seasons, basically just trying to make these fisheries sustainable. Um, and that's what I found really interesting. I think, you know, if we were going further on that route, I would talk about how that really garnered my interest in um, sustainable fisheries and conservation. Um, that job really opened my eyes to that. But um, I just saw the craziest fish uh, when they're, these trawlers are dragging a net along the bottom of the Bering Sea. I'm seeing crazy coral species, crazy flatfish and skate species and sculpin, fish that you don't even eat, you know? You probably fish that most people never thought of no, exist, right? never I mean, thought that exist. And did you cross any new species ever? Do you? New, no, I never stuff, saw or? any new species. I did see some rare stuff. Um, so part of my job was, as I'm collecting all this data, I have to send the data to NOAA every single day. What is, NOAA is? NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay, so it's there the government go. agency <laughs> that... It's a government yeah. agency that runs... Um, I guess under NOAA, I worked for NIMPS, which is the National fisheries management services right? there you go <laughs> wow i'm glad i got that right um yeah but but that and, was your task was yeah. to monitor observe monitor collect data uh -huh. and keep them informed of what whatever vessel you were on exactly and that was what fish they were catching so how, many, sure. how many hours did that like a day were you actually counting and so qualifying? on the trawlers i would have a, i would have a buddy i would have a partner and we would split the day work 12 hours each um on the trawlers a lot of times they would process the fish so slowly that what is a trawler trawler is um they're gonna 
the the noise in the background, the banging. We're, we're it's New we're Year's Eve. We're in the New Year. Yeah, we got about 15 minutes left in 2020. So you're hearing fireworks. Uh, don't be alarmed. We're safe. It's all good. I'm sorry. We're don't safe. Yeah, safe and happy. So the trawling. Uh, is a, trawling gear is a giant net, like literally the biggest net you can imagine. Like I said, they could bring in 30 tons, 100 tons, depending on the size the, of the, the net. The size of the ship is it like. 200 feet, 100 feet, like how big uh, um, is, uh... Between 100 and 200. Okay. Um, that so was these, one... These are large vessels. Large here. vessels, absolutely, yeah. Uh, the crew size would be about 40 or... Four, between 40 and 50. And the vessel size would be, I would say, less than 150 feet. Okay. Dragging a big net. Um, they would stay on the bottom and roll along the bottom some nets would have like tires associated with the gear so that it could roll along the bottom um and big trawl doors as they call them um look like big barn doors and that's what holds the net open and it just picks up everything that you could possibly imagine i mean if there's a dead marine mammal on the ocean it. floor it's going to scoop it up and i didn't see that very often but it wasn't uncommon for that to happen okay um, and I want to save some of that because I'm hoping that there's another interview I get to do. Mm-hmm. We can that, talk about that all day. Yeah, well, yeah, that, and I want to, want to, but that's where you went with your degree. Yes. And then a few years back, actually, I was trying to get you on a job. It didn't work out. Right. And we were trying to figure a way to get you on the next job, maybe. Uh-huh. You had an interview with um, a company. Uh-huh. Uh, you got like, you didn't get the job at that point. You were like next in line. Mm-hmm. A few weeks or months later, they called you and said, "Hey, we have another opening." Am, am I telling this right? Yeah, that's okay. exactly what happened. Now take over that because you need to tell me who that was and how and what what went on from yeah. that point. Yeah. So. so I got on at the Neutral Buoyancy Lab with NASA. Yeah, they called you to reapply, right? Yeah. Because of that what? Was the what, best. what? What experience did you have? They needed. Oh gosh! Well, my scuba diving scuba experience. Diving. So, that was it. That's what qualified me. So your first degree that your dad was looking at the hours for, <laughs> you went and fished. You were gone for months at a time, mm-hmm. sometimes without contact. Right. You came back home, and these fun classes you had taken, quote unquote fun classes. Right. Turned out to land you a job at the Buoyancy Lab working for... Working for NASA, which (laughs) just, I feel like since I've had that job, just saying that sentence, I feel like garners, like people are always just shocked. It it seems like a shocking sentence when you say it. You work for NASA. Yeah, Yeah. like people look at you like, should I believe that? That's so outrageous. (laughs) I work for NASA. It's not that crazy of a thing to say in Houston because NASA is a huge employer, but... You know, it is something that people are, there's only so many NASA facilities. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. cool thing. And yeah, I am, it's, especially since you brought up my dad, it's so funny to think about him. And you know, my dad, like, for him to say that I work for NASA does make him really proud, yeah. which makes me feel Absolutely. great. But knowing how he just gave me so much shit <laughs> uh, for wanting to take those scuba classes and i was like dad 
I'm a scientist. I gotta do it. Just and for the record, I'm still waiting for her to get her trainer's <laughs> license because I want to scuba dive. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> coming. Um, but now, now tell us a little bit about that because I, I've been fortunate enough. I've came to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I've been there one time when you were doing uh, a yeah. special event, and uh, it's really cool. In my experience that y'all have a a, a mock launch room. Mm-hmm. I mean, the control room, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And y'all talk to astronauts just as it would be real. I mean, it's all yeah. real-time practice, like the true yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. So what exactly is it that you do there? Talk all right. about the, the so the room. Neutral Buoyancy Lab is a whole mm-hmm. facility. Uh, it's an astronaut training facility. And we have a gigantic pool. Um, just to give you an idea, the specifications are uh, the pool. Is that any kind of secret? No. No, okay. we want people to know this. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we want, I mean, especially... I want the flat earthers to hear this because <laughs> let me tell you, we are not using this facility to fake <laughs> spacewalks, right? It's an actual training facility. Um, we have a whole mock up of the space station inside of this pool, okay? This pool, giant swimming pool is enormous. Like, it's the biggest pool you can think of, it's 40 feet deep. 202 feet long, 102 feet wide, 6.2 million gallons of water. And just to give you an idea, the full length of the space station that's flying over our heads right now, it's about the length of a football field. So we got to have a pool that's enormous. but Because it's a replicate of that. It right? is. It's to every dimension. It is the space station. Yeah, yeah. Submerged in the pool. Exactly. And that's like you really said... Cool. <laughs> The, the people, the trainers that are up in our mock mission control room are giving the procedures to the astronauts in the pool word for word, you know, like bolt turn for bolt turn of what they need to be doing, handrail for handrail of which direction they need to be going. It is so specific and that's why the mock-ups are so specific because by the time that they go out the door on the space station in space, they will have practiced every single procedure, every hour's worth of procedure that they'll do in space, they've practiced it for at least 10 hours in the pool. So it's a 10 to it's one at minimum. Absolutely, and that's, and, I hear that figure all the time. And just for the record, Empy knows astronauts that have been on the space station. Mm-hmm. Like It's not like she hears of them, she works with them. I know the ones and, that are there now. Exactly, so it's not like a, Oh, I hear this. She lives it. She works it. It's yeah. there. So Yeah, I'm hands-on with the astronauts. They get donned up in their spacesuits. They're a little bit modified, you know, because we're throwing spacesuits water in the, the water. Yeah. yeah, they're modified for the water, right? But as soon as... And I can testify to this because I've been in the spacesuit in the well, pool. And that's the special event I went to. <laughs> and when she gets in the spacesuit, that's that's not an everyday thing. And so we yeah, got to go see deal. that. But it, yeah, so... It's a big deal. The divers will bring their families. Um, that was an amazing experience, too, to have all of you there. Especially the boys and, and their little and astronaut, and their suits. astronaut suits. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, it, it was really cool. And the insight is to really get a to put your eyes on that pool uh-huh. and, and to go into the control room. You, you didn't feel like you were in a movie. You felt like people were preparing for the real thing. That That's mm-hmm. really what... And, and, I, and I can only, in my mind, it had to be a little more relaxed being that it was that special event Yeah. versus the astronauts doing the training, but it still had a very professional tone. Like I'm it was glad a, you said that because that's what we strive for, you know? 
Um, we just want the astronauts to have their training be as space-like as possible so that when they do go out on the space station, they're prepared, you know, and there are things that are different, obviously, there being gravity on Earth versus zero gravity in space that we have to account for. Um, and it always feels really good, like you said, I have personal relationships with these astronauts and it always feels really good when they come back and they say like, the training that you gave us really helped us and really did actually did prepare us for what we did while we were up there. That's super meaningful. Like there's honestly, that's the most, that's the best job gratification that I could have. Oh, and that's, and that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, mm. I appreciate you taking the time to to explain this to us and walk it through us. I don't think it'd be the last time I have you on here. Um, yeah. I, I hope you join us again. Um, but this is it, Emily Cox, trainer of the astronauts. Um, and the kicker is, the this this career came from a fun side of it, which it yeah. wasn't exactly fun. You were using those hours because of a a different path in research. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what I'd be doing. I never thought I'd be diving with astronauts. I thought I'd be diving with, I don't know, some sort of marine life. It's manatee. Fish and coral, <laughs> manatee. Yeah. yeah, all that. And you still might. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So, Who knows? But, uh, but thanks again. And to those of you listening, um, always appreciate it. And uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Signing off.